If you work in orthopedics, primary care, pediatrics, emergency medicine, or urgent care, I'm sure at some point in time you have had a kid come in with a complaint of heel pain. If you haven't, I'm sure that you will. And you will want to listen to today's episode of the Musculoskeletal Minute, in which we'll be talking about one of, if not the most common source of heel pain in the pediatric population. Welcome to the MSK Minute Podcast by Basics of Ortho. Our aim is to enhance your musculoskeletal knowledge and confidence through casual educational content and provide mentorship and wisdom from experienced clinicians and others involved in education and leadership. Thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Jason Coggins. Before we get started with today's episode, I want to take a moment to recognize our sponsor, QXMD. QXMD builds mobile solutions that drive evidence-based medicine in clinical practice. Check out their READ app for easy access to research personalized for you and their Calculate app for over 500 easy-to-use decision support tools. Try them today at qxmd.com forward slash apps. Welcome back, orthopedic enthusiasts. As you could probably gather from the intro, we're going to be talking about Seaver's disease today, which is one of, if not the most common source of heel pain in the pediatric population. Uh, to start, it was named after Dr. James Warren Seaver, who was an orthopedic surgeon at Boston's Children's Hospital in the late 19th and early 20th century. And in 1912, in the New York Journal of Medicine, he wrote an article uh, regarding calcaneal apophysitis. And due to that, the condition later became Seaver's disease. And that's what we're going to talk about. So first of all, before we can talk about a calcaneal apophysitis, we have to understand what an apophysitis is. And in general, uh, an apophysis is a growth plate, but a specific growth plate. A lot of growth plates are at the end of the bone and contribute to the lengthening of the bone. Well, an apophysis is a growth plate, but it's not a contributing factor to the growing bone in terms of length. So it usually uh, is near the ends, but it's kind of off to the side of the joint and or anterior or posterior and acts as an attachment point for a tendon. Now, the calcaneal apophysis in particular serves as the insertion of the Achilles tendon. Um, that calcaneal apophysis develops at an early age. In girls, it's usually around the age of six that it starts to develop. And in boys, it's usually around the age of eight that it starts to develop. And that apophysis is usually present for three to four years, depending on growth. The calcaneal apophysis uh, can uh, bring in a lot of metabolic activity, especially in periods where with rapid growth. And all of that metabolic activity and the changes in the length of the tendons, putting pressure uh, and tension on that uh, growth plate, make it a very susceptible area for overuse injury. So there's that word overuse. So in order to be an overuse, the, the kid has to be doing something a lot. And in most cases that I see, these kids are very active in sports. And the sports that are most predisposing involve a lot of running or jumping or abnormal heel striking uh, with running or related to the footwear associated with that particular sport. So the sports that I see kids most commonly, um, by far, number one would be soccer. Uh, 
Um, I live in an area where we have a lot of baseball, and baseball cleats aren't that far different from soccer cleats. Uh, secondly, in the male population, I'd say baseball, and the female population, softball. But others that I see um, are, are basketball. Um, uh, we have a pretty big gymnastics uh, area. So I see a fair amount of uh, young ladies with uh, gymnastics backgrounds. And then one of the articles I read also mentioned track and uh, running. Um, I don't see a lot of young uh, athletes in the age range that uh, Seavers usually have that are participating in, in track and field. As far as the incidents goes, um, an article that I read noted that it was just over three and a half cases per thousand in population. But overall, there weren't a ton of uh, or a ton of literature related to the incidence of calcaneal apophysitis. And the age groups that are typically uh, involved, as I mentioned before, the, calc- uh, the calcaneal apophysis develops in girls around the age of six and boys around of eight, around the age of eight, uh, and that lasts three to four years. So that puts uh, the age range usually around eight to twelve years old. And in my experience, the 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 age that I that comes to mind that I most frequently see kids with Seavers is around ten years old, so that fits right in the middle. Now, does this happen in one or both? In general, I'd have to say that I usually see kids that it's happening unilaterally, but not infrequently will I see the same kid back you know, several months or a year later with the same presenting complaints. In the opposite side. And several studies mention that it has a high incidence of being a bilateral condition, uh, up to two-thirds of cases being so. We've talked a bit uh, about what calcaneopophysitis is, uh, how often does it present, and now let's go ahead and talk about how it presents. So the most common complaint is kind of simplistic, but it's heel pain. Um, a lot of times they'll say ankle pain or in it's really important to ask where exactly the pain is. And if you ask them to point to it with one finger, in my experience, nine times out of ten, they're going to point right to the posterior aspect of their heel. And again, it's as you dive more into their history, in a lot of cases, you're going to find out they're very active in sports or play. Um, and depending on which sports, that can also, as I mentioned earlier, the, the footwear associated with that sport can be a predisposing factor. So if they have to wear cleats, um, from a, a inspection standpoint, they may or may not have a limp depending on uh, how bad it's hurting them. A lot of times they say that it only hurts them uh, when they're running uh, and for a short period of time after they run. Uh, if it's a, a participation in a sporting event, uh, sometimes they'll say it bothers them for a day or so afterwards. And as long as they're not running around and practicing, then it, it alleviates itself. Again, from an inspection standpoint, the limp may be the only thing visible. There's usually not a significant amount of swelling, if any. Um, in my experience, there's I can't recall one that I've actually seen swelling. But the real important part of the physical exam is in the palpation. Um, generally, their, their pain is to palpation along the collateral aspects of uh, the hind foot. Uh, and specifically closer to the end of the tubercle or the apophysis. And the telltale sign for Seaver's disease is a positive uh, squeeze test or calcaneal compression test, which is where uh, the heel is cupped in the palm of the hand 
And with the four fingers, you're you're squeezing one side of the calcaneus, and on the opposite side, you're squeezing it against uh, your thenar eminence. Um, and if they have pain with that, that's a good indicator of calcaneal apophysitis or Seaver's disease. Now, you can't 100% say that there's nothing else going on uh, because any uh, injury to the heel uh, can cause a, a positive calcaneal compression test. So you definitely want to make sure there hasn't been a trauma, that there could potentially be a fracture. And stress fractures of the heel um, are pretty uncommon in the pediatric population, but you can't exclude that either. Uh, so definitely get a good history and perform uh, a thorough exam. Other exam findings they may or may not have, but uh, depending on severity, is they can have discomfort with doing a, a toe raise. Uh, if they can do a bilateral toe raise without any significant difficulty or pain, then I'll have them do a single leg toe raise to see if they have pain. And sometimes that elicits discomfort, sometimes it doesn't. But generally the strength does not suffer and the physical exam is really not terribly impressive other than that calcaneal squeeze test and maybe some uh, discomfort with a toe raise. Do you need to get x-rays on that initial presentation? If you go by what most studies that have looked at that question say, no, you do not need to get x-rays at that initial presentation unless there is severe pain uh, to the point they can't weight bear uh, for more than four consecutive steps or if they have significant antalgia with that. And if there's been any indication of trauma, you would want to get x-rays or uh, anything suspicious in their questioning that or in their history that may warrant the x-rays, uh, such as uh, symptoms of infection or potential malignancy questions. Um, if there's any of that stuff, then you, know, you, you certainly would not uh, want to go without getting those x-rays at that initial visit. But if it's the typical uh, Seavers presentation of chronic pain associated with activity that resolves after a period of rest, um, then no, you do not need to get those x-rays initially, according to uh, the current literature. Now, if someone's symptoms are severe or if they do not resolve with conservative treatment in time, then you definitely want to pursue imaging, uh, plain radiographs to start with, and those would be the uh, axial and cal uh, lateral calcaneal views. What you may see is a bit of increase, increased sclerosis along that apophysis. So uh, the very end of that heel, the apophysis it may look a bit more homogenous and a sclerotic white compared to the rest of the heel. Uh, that just indicates uh, that that area has had increased stress um, associated with uh, that traction apophysis or that traction from the Achilles tendon. In very severe episodes that do not get better with continued conservative treatment and negative radiographs, you could order uh, MRI, um, but it rarely, uh, if ever, gets to that point in my experience. So what do you do about Seaver's apophysitis? Well, the first and foremost thing uh, to me is patient education and parent education on what the condition is. Explain that it is related to their activity. Um, it is not something that is going to uh, affect their growth. It is not something that is going to cause them to, to not be able to pursue an activity. 
at any point in time, but uh, explain that, it's, again, it's just self-limiting, and uh, they will completely grow out of it in time. One thing I did fail to mention that I do want to mention before I go further is in the exam portion, you definitely want to look at their foot position, their foot type, see if they're planus or if they have a high arch because that can sometimes predispose. And then look at the general flexibility and range of motion uh, to see if their gastroxoleus and Achilles complex is excessively tight or not because that can contribute as well. All right, fast forward back to uh, the treatment. We've explained to the parent that this is a self-limiting condition. It's going to go away for good once they near growth completion. But in attempts to keep them comfortable and keep them as active as they want to be, you're going to treat them symptomatically with the typical things. Ice, particularly after activities for a good 20 or 25 minutes. Um, Anti-inflammatories, you can use those, but you do not want to use them to enable them to participate in the activity. So generally what I'll do is I'll, I'll use a, a short course of a, uh, an anti-inflammatory medication uh, to try to get their uh, symptoms to settle down and then let them get back into activities. Another key is uh, a heel lift or heel cup. Uh, some of the studies that I reviewed said the patients demonstrated higher satisfaction with use of a heel cup, such as a Thule heel cup, but Heel lifts also uh, were helpful, uh, whether that be just a, an over-the-counter silicone one or a cork. Uh, but you know, there was a slight difference in, in preference for the heel cups. Aggressive heel cord and Achilles stretching program is important. And formal physical therapy, depending on severity of symptoms, I may get someone started in that, uh, especially to work on uh, eccentric strength. Uh, that can help reduce uh, the stress of impact when that heel uh, collides with the ground. And that's generally the treatment for uh, Seaver's disease. If a patient just has uncontrollable discomfort and uh, they've had negative further workup with you know, x-rays if I didn't get them initially, uh, then on occasion, on rare occasion, I will immobilize the patient uh, either in a, in a a cam walking boot uh, or a short leg cast for two to four weeks uh, and give them com complete rest. And that will usually kickstart uh, that pain relief and then gradually um, reintroduce the conservative treatment uh, with uh, stretching and strengthening and then a gradual return back into activities. So how long do I give a patient um, conservative treatment before deciding to immobilize them, I would do a good uh, four to six weeks of conservative stretching and icing um, and activity modification before considering booting or casting. And that's if their symptoms were not controlled and further uh, imaging was, uh, was negative. And that wraps up my review of Seavers or calcaneal apophysitis. I hope you learned a thing or two that you can carry over into your clinical practice. And I hope that you join me next time on the MSK Minute. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the MSK Minute podcast by Basics of Ortho. I truly appreciate you and trust that you found today's presentation valuable and applicable. If you have, I would be greatly appreciative if you'd hit that subscribe button and leave a review. I look forward to having you join me for our next episode.